Hello, I would like to introduce in this vidcast the financial profile of a very important and highly performing actor of the cloud industry, MongoDB. The company creates a lot of value to its customers. It's going to be demonstrated when I show you the evolution of sales and revenues. But it's also a great investor story when you look at the outstanding track record of the stock price since the IPO. What are we going to do? I'm going to first mobilize a traditional and classical triptych. Growth, profitability and value and value creation. But it will also give me the opportunity to address the financing issue. And we'll understand that MongoDB demonstrated intelligence in the understanding of financial instruments to finance and support its growth strategy. What is the business of MongoDB? The company is offering on its platform general purpose database management software. It is a no SQL world, which means not only SQL, relational and not relational database management. MongoDB is a very significant actor of the cloud industry, but the softwares can also be used on site. Hybrid use is also available. The company was created in 2007. It has an excellent reputation in terms of product, went public in 2017 to finance its growth, and the market capitalization of the company moved from $1.6 billion the day the IPO happened up to $22 billion today. So it's an outstanding track record. Revenues, half a billion dollars, and losses, 50% of their revenues. So the company is very far from being profitable. Sales and revenues are fast growing, but the company needed to go public and raise funds in order to finance its growth and its losses. This is what we are going to describe now. First in the agenda, the growth factor, profitability, losses, value creation, and the last chapter in financing, which is quite interesting as well. What about growth? If you observe the evolution of the quarterly revenues from 2015, quarter after quarter, to Q3 2020, you observe a fantastic growth. We don't have any figure before the first quarter of 2015 because the company was completely private. And as a company is closing its accounts at the end of January, we have only the third quarter of 2020 available on the website because the company is going to close its 2020 accounts in a few weeks' time. The figures are in thousands US dollars, so you can observe that beginning of 2015, the quarterly revenues are a little bit more than $10 million per quarter, and today it's more than 150. It's about customer value creation, there's no doubt about that. You can observe that around at the middle of the period, in October 2018, the company went public in order to finance again losses and growth. Second question, what about the profitability? We need to observe the cost structure of the company. What do you conclude? The gross margin moved from about 70 to a bit more than 70 to 70. So the gross margin is quite stable at the level of 70% of revenues. Sales and marketing, research and development demonstrated economies of scale. 
Sales and marketing expenses were about the same as revenues at the beginning of the period. It goes back to 50% and it's slightly going up. Research and development, 85 to 90% to sales, down to about 30% and slightly getting up. General and administrative expenses, it was about 30 and it is smoothly getting down, but it seems to be quite stable the last years. Now as a conclusion, what do you have? An evolution of gross margin, stable, 70%. Sales and marketing from almost 100% down to 50, up to 55. Research and development, 85% down to 30, smoothly up to 35%. General and admin, down from 30 to 9 and stable. Now the operating income, the EBIT is gross margin, less sales and marketing, less general and admin, and less a cost, which is an investment, which is R&D. Then 70 minus 55 minus 35 minus 9 is strongly negative. And that's the way it works. When you observe on the graph the evolution of the operating income, the earnings before interest and taxes as a percentage to quarterly revenues, what do you observe? A trend up from minus 150%, smoothly going up. And there's a moment in 2018 where it stops going up towards break-even. It is stabilizing or even a little bit declining. It seems to be an issue because you have definitely two periods. One is we're progressively moving towards break-even. And starting about two years ago, forget about break-even, EBIT is stable and it's minus 40% of revenues. Of course, the operating income is strongly negative, minus 40% of revenues. But there is also an acronym in a PL which is extremely relevant, which is EBITDA. EBIT is profit, EBITDA is cash. This is why when you calculate the EBITDA, you take the operating revenues, the sales, and you deduct only the cash operating expenses because there are some non-cash items in the P&L. Depreciation for tangible assets, amortization for intangible fixed assets are non-cash items. Now, there is a second non-cash item which very often shows in the P&L of companies in the tech business and fast-growing. Part of the remuneration is stock-based compensation. Stock options, restricted stock units, and so on and so forth. This is about remuneration, but it's non-cash because you don't give cash to people. You give them shares or options on shares. This is why the cash operating profit, the EBITDA, is the operating income to which you have to add depreciation and amortization on one hand and stock-based compensation on the other hand. Interestingly, if you look at the evolution of the stock-based compensation of MongoDB, it was about 10%. And during the last quarters, it slightly moved up to 20% of revenues. When you try to calculate the EBITDA in 2015 and 2016, it's impossible to calculate per quarter because we don't have the data. Starting in 2017, we have the quarterly data for stock-based compensation, EBIT, and depreciation and amortization. And you observe a parallel move from EBIT to EBITDA. 
Now it's parallel up to about two years ago. And then the correlation is less obvious from EBIT to EBITDA. Why? Because you have to add a stock-based compensation item, which moves up from 10 to 20. When you observe the evolution of the EBITDA, the cash operating profit, now we are close to break-even. Conclusion about growth and profitability. Growth, sales, up. Profitability, up. Not yet at break-even, but on a cash point of view, quite close to break-even. Now you remember that value and value creation is about profitable growth. What about the IPO and the stock price evolution? When a company goes public, it publishes in S1 prospectus. First, plus several amendments getting towards the IPO itself. The second amendment of the S1 prospectus of MongoDB is dated 17th of October 2017. And the prospectus shows that the maximum offered price should be $22. Two days later, the actual offered price when the IPO takes place is $33, so 50% more than two days before. There will be an evolution of the stock price, a first stage, October 2017, $80, a second stage, $150, a third one, $230, and today it's about $360, which is absolutely outstanding. Now on the graph, you can observe a smooth evolution and the different stages. When you compare the evolution of MongoDB against the NASDAQ, over the same period, NASDAQ was multiplied by two. The index was multiplied by two. As far as MongoDB stock price, it was multiplied by 12. So it's really an outstanding story for the investors. Interestingly, the company is going to use its credibility in the stock market to mobilize very sophisticated financing instruments for its development. You remember that the cash flow statement explains how the company is financing its growth and, as far as young companies are concerned, its losses. Now, when you look at the evolution of the losses generated by MongoDB over the entire period we are observing, the losses are about $400 million. You have to find some financing for that. Interestingly, in a working capital requirement, there is a deferred revenue which makes a working capital requirement quite negative because as far as subscriptions are concerned, customers pay in advance and it represents four months of revenue. Now, when the working capital requirement is negative, this is quite good news when you're growing your sales. The working capital requirement is always, in absolute terms, very much related with sales. So when your working capital requirement is positive, the more you generate revenue, the more you have to stock money in your operating cycle and it consumes cash. But when the working capital requirement is negative, the more you are growing your revenue, the more the working capital requirement is generating cash. So a significant part of the $400 million of losses is going to be financed by the negative evolution of the working capital requirement, which is quite good news. But now on top of that, you have to find resources to finance your strategic growth, organic growth, industrial investments, external growth, acquisitions. As the company is not in manufacturing, industrial investment, the famous capital expenditures represent only 2-3% to 3 of revenues. This is a bit negligible.
Not many acquisitions on top of that. Only two acquisitions over the period for a total cash amount of $94 million. So you have to finance $400 million of losses, plus capital expenditures, plus acquisitions. The working capital requirement finances part of it, but far from all of it. Then you have to mobilize your shareholders. When the company goes public, it raises funds, a bit more than $200 million. There were two private placements, one before, one after the IPO, for a total of 115. Third shareholders' contribution, the exercise of stock options. It's part of the stock-based compensation for about $26 million. So far, it's quite classical and traditional. You finance your losses and your growth with shareholders' money. In the case of MongoDB, there is an additional source of financing, which is financial creditors. Not under the form of very classical on straight debt, but the company is going to mobilize two sophisticated financing instruments, hybrid instruments, convertible notes. The company is issuing its first convertible note a few months after the IPO. The stock is nicely growing before this $80 stage. And then there will be the $150 stage. Towards the end of this stage, the company is going to issue a second convertible note. Then there will be a stage and then there will be the 360 today. What is interesting is, without getting too much into the technical details, it's to observe the parameters of these convertible notes. First one, June 2018. The stock price is $50. The company needs $300 million. Then the company is going to issue 300,000 notes at a nominal value of 1,000. One multiplied by the other gives you 300 million. Its notes, its bonds, it pays a coupon, an interest of 0.75% per year. When, as an investor, you pay $1,000 to buy a convertible note, you're going to receive 0.75%, the coupon, annually, but you have the possibility to convert this bond into shares. The conversion rate is a fundamental parameter in a convertible note issue. In the case here, 14.6738 new shares are going to be created per node. The DES investor decides to go for conversion. So if the stock price is less than $68, you're not going to convert because $1,000 is more than 14.67, etc. times $68. And if the stock price goes beyond this kind of break-even stock price, then you are going to exercise your right to convert and you're going to make a profit because you receive more than the $1,000. You understand that you have a kind of parachute if the stock price is down, $1,000, but you can profit from the upside potential in the evolution of the stock price. And you remember the stock price is going to significantly go up for the good of the investors. Now, how many shares are going to be created if all the convertible notes are actually converted? 300,000 multiplied by 14.6738. 4.4 million shares. What is interesting in the convertible note issue is that if you issue a convertible note and the note is converted, there will be less shares issued than if you issue straight equity today. Let's take the example. The stock price is 
$50 per share. If you want to raise $300 million, you will have to issue 6 million shares. So you issue 6 million shares today instead of 4.4 million shares a little bit later when the stock price goes beyond the 68 and so on and so forth. So you understand that it's delayed dilution and reduced dilution. This is why the convertible note is great for the current shareholders. Still, 4.4 million shares, it represents a dilution of 8.5%, which is quite significant. Now, second step of the story. You are in January 2020, and now the stock price is $164. So the convertible note investors are quite happy, because now a converted note is worth $14.67, etc., multiplied by 164, which is $2,400. They invested $1,000, and they have in their hands something which is worth $2,400. Now, the company is going to issue a second convertible note, not for 300 million, but for 1.15 billion. The coupon is going to be a little bit lower, 0.25%. And the conversion rate will be significantly lower. Why? Because the stock price is no more 50. It's now 164. So instead of converting one note into 14.67 shares, a note issued in January 2020, will be converted in 4.7349 shares. And the conversion is going to be a success if the stock price is more than 211. You remember today, 360. But what is going to be interesting about this second convertible node is that there will be two objectives for the issue. The first objective of the issue is to accumulate cash reserves in order to be able to finance the future losses organic and external growth. A second objective of this convertible note issue is to be able to buy back from the capital market a significant part of the first issue of convertible notes so that the dilution is cancelled, is reduced. So you understand that the company is quite sophisticated in mobilizing instruments in order to avoid dilution and create as much value as possible for its shareholders. Now we can build the entire cash flow statement from the beginning of 2015 to the third quarter of 2020. Accumulated losses, 400 million. As the working capital requirement is negative, you don't have to finance 400, but only 300 million. No manufacturing for CapEx, which are quite negligible. Acquisition, 84 million. You remember we already mentioned that. Now, external financing, which you need to raise, is about 420 million. A very significant part of it will come from shareholders' money and convertible notes issues minus convertible notes repurchase. It's going to represent something like $1 billion net of buybacks. Now, the purpose of this issue of two convertible notes will be to contribute to the financing of losses and growth, but also to accumulate a cash reserve of 850 something million dollars so that the company can finance its forward losses and grasp potential opportunities. As a conclusion of this vidcast, I would like to tell you that the company is great in terms of customer value creation. It is demonstrated by the evolution of sales. The reputation of the company is high. But the company is complementing its ability to create value for its customers with financial skills. 
But never forget that you can mobilize your intelligence and financial skills the day you create customer value. Tier one is to create value for your customers and financial skills are supporting the value creation process for customers to transform it into value creation for your shareholders. But it's tier two and you can't mobilize any financial skill at all if you don't create any value for your customer. Thank you very much.